Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's go in our Bibles together. We're going to go to the Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. We are in this final chapter of the book of Nehemiah, which also happens to be the final chapter that was written of the Old Testament in the, in the time period. So this is the final word from God before the lights go out for 400 years and there's silence as they wait on the coming Messiah. Maybe at one point or another in your life, you have been part of a team or you have coached a team or you have led a team, whether it be athletics whether that be at work, whether it be ministry as we're preparing for VBS this week. And you organize, teach, train, draw on the whiteboard, chart, everything. You set it, you know, you run the drills, you run the routine, you communicated everything that you thought needed to be communicated, and then you stepped away for a little bit. You came back, what'd you find? <laughs> what are you doing? Where did you all go? What has happened? Maybe some of you work in uh, IT, and you're, you're the one that is called, and you straighten out the person's computer, and you leave them, and they click seven times, and they're right back on the phone with, it's messed up, it won't work, it won't do anything that I, I'm asking it to do. What happened? Of course, they're not factoring any opportunity for operator error. It's always, something's wrong with this. Same thing goes for cars. Something's wrong with my car. Of course it's not operator error. Something's wrong with my car. This is frustrating, is it not? It's parenting. I told you what needed to be done. I told you specifically. Here, it's even in the text. I said right here. Oh, I didn't see that. You know, whatever. I did everything I was supposed to do, and you've gone off the rails. Okay, this is frustrating. It was 20-some years ago, Ginger and I, it was 1995. You can do the math. I, it's Sunday, so I'm not going to work on the math. 1995, Ginger and I got married, got married. We went on our honeymoon, came back, went through Kentucky, and then made, it, made our way back to Kansas City. That's where we lived. I was an assistant manager. And so I came back, I stopped into the station downtown Kansas City, and I told the manager, I said, hey, you know, we're back. He said, welcome back, congratulations, and I'm leaving he got promoted to Chicago. They were taking him to the Chicago terminal. And so I had a crash course of about two days of here's manager responsibilities. And so I was, well, okay, I can do this, you know. And I started working and went from being nights and weekends to working in the day, working hard, and in walked an auditor one day. And I knew this guy. And I, he walked in through the back doors. How you doing? Oh, doing good. And I'm thinking, are the bathrooms clean? Do we have all the, you know, the travelers? We got all the luggage called. There were all these important things, but not most important. And I, I told our office administrator, I said, the auditor is here. And she went, oh, great. And I said, what? Nothing. Okay. And that man started pulling. He pulled one file and pulled one thing out. And on one duplicate credit card receipt, he said, you have a problem here. And this was 1995, so all of the dial-up computers in the slow. And he pulled out cases, and, and away he went. 
at the end of the day, which was about a week's audit, our terminal was missing about $8,000. I, I wanted to impress them that I, you can trust me. We're going to do a good job. Make sure the you know, place is clean and customer service is good and we're scheduling people. There was something much more significant to paying the bills. And I, didn't, I wasn't aware of it. I didn't know about it. What have I learned? Well, for one, be humble. <laughs> be humble. You know, instead of being like, man, we could really trust that guy over there. Like, eh, he didn't know what he was doing. Two days of training, you know, it didn't work. And the other is the value of a good office administrator. Amen? Amen. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, man, this individual, they were working overtime. They were there. I didn't know there was something else going on. And they found it all, and it was all trailed, and it, through the banks and Wells Fargo, it was all right there. Here's where it went wrong, 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 wrong. And that was one day that individual went from work in a different vehicle than they came to work in. And I was discouraged. I was like, I wanted to be the guy that we, we put that guy in charge and no, he wasn't a manager and we didn't make him a manager. They sure didn't pay me the salary of a manager, but I still wanted to do a good job. And that manager was, you know, gone for a couple months and they just had visiting managers that would come in, but they didn't get under the surface to know the details of reporting and all of the accounting and all of that. And I was discouraged and how quickly things can go offline and go under where, where something, it, it goes, the, comes off the rails. And this is Nehemiah. Here he comes. He comes back. He set it all in order. They all said, yes, we will. We remember where we were from and, and what happened to us and where we went wrong. And the Lord has been gracious and the Lord has brought us back. So we'll remember and we promise and we covenant and here we are. And then he had to make the, the return visit to, to Babylon. He went back to the Artaxerxes and reported back. And however long he was there, five, ten years, and he comes back and he cannot believe. And we've been looking in this chapter at all of the ways that the people, they've desecrated the priesthood and the temple. Uh, remember, Tobias is living there. He's an enemy. Now he's right up into the house of the Lord. They've cleared out the place where the, the storage was to be for offerings and for the Levites and for the priests, for ministry. But that's been given now to an enemy of God. They defaulted on giving to God's work. We talked about that last week. Everything else became more important than giving to God. And we closed last Sunday's message with they, they began to receive the gifts and Nehemiah saying, remember me, oh my God, for this work. Today we're going to look at how they were defiling the Sabbath. And God willing, next Sunday we'll look at how they disobeyed God's command regarding marriage. They took very important things and dismissed them or belittled them. And Nehemiah comes back and he cannot believe that they are set, they're setting themselves up for judgment again. He loves them. He loves God. Nehemiah chapter 13, look at, look at verse 15. In those days, okay, so we're still in, he's using a time. These are his memoirs, you know, verse four. Now before this, before I was gone, in those days, he finds all these things. Verse 15, in those days, I saw in Judah, okay, it's right around Jerusalem, people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, 
and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. In Jerusalem itself, remember that's the holy city, Verse 17, then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be open until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's unpack this together. We're looking at five leadership lessons. All right, Nehemiah's final reforms this is the final notes on his life, on his ministry, on his investment. First of all, we learn live in consecration to God. We saw that in the first nine verses. Never give to man that which God alone deserves. God gave his instruction. It was clear. Satan always, he always tempts us to compromise as God said, that's the first temptation. You don't have to listen to God. Be your own God. God's people must lead with courage, and Nehemiah did. And the second thing we saw in verses 10 to 14 last week, to support the work of God. Do not withhold from God that which he has required, that which he is worthy of. So identify the need in God's work, address the issues behind poor giving, take any necessary step to become a generous giver, and then always invest those resources into the hands of trustworthy leaders. Hold godly, faithful, accountable leaders responsible for these areas. Today we see this, the third principle, the third truth we learn, this lesson from Nehemiah's final reforms is honor the Lord's day. Honor the Lord's day. Do not forget the Lord on the day set aside for worship and rest. Do not, yes, even in 2022, do not forget the Lord on the day set aside for worship and rest. This is what it is to honor the Lord's day. And so this morning we're gonna unpack this a little bit um, because Old Testament, Sabbath day, New Testament, we're gonna, we're gonna unpack that a little bit as to, well, do we still you know, observe the Sabbath? We don't observe the Sabbath. What is the significance of this? So we will look at this together. If we're going to honor the Lord's day, then loved ones, first of all, we need to recognize any areas of disobedience in our lives. Any areas of disobedience. 
Nehemiah, in verse 15, he saw another problem. It wasn't hidden at all. People weren't hiding. They weren't in back alleys. You know, it wasn't a, a black market or, you know, hey, I got, I got some fish. You need some fish? All right, meet me out back, you know, on the, on the fourth hill, third bush from the left by the cow. I'll be there. <laughs> That's how they give directions in Kentucky, by the way. I laughed, but when I moved there and I needed to find somebody and they told me that, and I was out in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, and I asked for directions, and someone said, no, when you're coming, you're going to come down this road and a country road and over here and turn left, and there'll be, a, there'll be a, a bull in the corner of the field, and turn there, that's when you know you're going to... And I drove, I'm like, that bull is not going to be there. That bull was there. He was looking at me, like, what are you looking at? You're not from around here, are you? I don't, I don't think he spit, but he might have. Any areas of disobedience, Nehemiah sees, they're, they're just not even hiding this. They're just calling out. They're, they're just obliterating the Lord's day, the Sabbath day. It was blatant. It was public. Listen, some people, I'm sure none of you here, you're like super serious when people come in your house, they take their shoes off. Don't, don't, come, don't come in my house. With my, take your shoes off. They didn't take their shoes off. You know, and then they leave and you're like swiffering and cleaning and get everything out, chlor everything known to man. And that's your house. Think about what the people of God are doing on his earth, in his house. And if we get all, you know, bothered by what people do in our houses, then the argument is from lesser to greater. Are we to sit in judgment? of the Lord when he has expectations that will provide for blessing for his people? Now, most of the time, people have a clean house. They have reasons for why they do. It's not just, I don't have any reasons, you know. You've been out in the pasture asking that bull for directions. Could you please take your shoes off? You know, I don't need you walking around in here with those shoes on. So there's a, there's a point behind it. It's not just, I have to have everybody have their shoes off, and, unless that's a separate issue, all right? Where does this command come from? Well, it, it comes from one of the Ten Commandments back in Exodus. And just the straightforward Exodus 20 and verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And we're just going to leave that verse on the screen for a moment. And let me read beyond that. Now, commandment number one, put God first always in everything. Commandment number two, do not make idols. Commandment number three, do not pr profane the name of the Lord. Do not misuse, do not blaspheme. Do you ever wonder why no one uses Muhammad or Buddha as, a, as an expletive? Okay, there's something written in our hearts that is in rebellion. Commandment number four, this is the, the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother. Commandment number six, don't commit murder. And Jesus said, if you've hated someone without cause, you've committed murder in your heart. And in God's holy eyes, you're guilty. Number seven, do, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, the line nine, do not lie. Number 10, do not covet. Covet is a, is a deep underline. You don't, all of these other sins, you can see them. Coveting is in the heart. It's, it's deep in the heart. 
if I, if I looked like them, if I, had like, if I had that position, they got promoted. And no one ever knows, but God knows. It's coveting. Those are the Ten Commandments. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, says if you have broken any one of those, it's like shattering the entire pane of glass. And we're, therefore, we're all guilty. We're all deserving of judgment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. An interesting note, this is the only commandment not reiterated in the New Testament to the church. Not reiterated by Jesus. And we're going to look at this, but here's what it says in the Old Testament. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then the Lord continues on through Moses. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your, remember what they were carrying their loads of fish on? Donkeys, no days off for donkeys. Your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in the giving of the law in Exodus 20, the Lord through Moses grounds this, this, the, the Sabbath day, the day of rest in creation. That the Lord took time to enjoy his creation and so work on six days, but if the Lord took a day to rest and enjoy his creation, who in the world do we think we are that we'll just knock it out seven days a week and I've got to work and I've got to work and I've got to work, 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 and then die and stand before the one who rested on the seventh day? Deuteronomy 5.15 Moses, again, to the children of Israel, now this commandment is rooted and grounded in their deliverance from Egypt. So as the Old Testament carries forward, it's becoming more clear. It's expanding. The Lord's plan of redemption is expanding and becoming more visible to us. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you, okay, this is always going to be the question, Who's, who tells me what to do? Who has the right to tell me what to do with my life? The Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Who's the Lord, Moses? He delivered you with this strong, mighty hand. Do you remember what happened in Egypt to the guy who said, who's the Lord that I should obey him? Is that in your heart today? Whether you're here or online, who is the Lord that I should obey him? You know what I'll do? I'll just get mad at that guy at the front in the pink shirt. I'll just get mad at him because I can see him. I'll size him up. I can probably take him down. You probably could, but not the Lord. So here we come back to Nehemiah, and here the people of God were guilty for blatantly violating the Sabbath day. So it says, in those days, in Judah, what do you find them doing? They're treading wine presses. They're bringing in all kinds of produce, loaded heavily on the backs of donkeys. There's grain, wine, grapes, figs, many other kinds of loads. There's people there from Tyre. Now they live in the city, the Tyrians, and they're bringing in fish, and they live in the city. What is he describing? It's just business as usual. You've got Monday, 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays, you know. For them, it's the Sabbath day. It's Friday evening through Saturday, and it just looked like every other day. Business as usual. Well, we can see what they were doing, but what about us? How can we be guilty of dishonoring the Lord on what we know in the New Testament is the Lord's Day. So Christians, followers of Christ, followers of Jesus, were under a new covenant in the New Testament. Jesus confronted the religious leaders for their misunderstanding of the Sabbath day and their wrongful application of this holy day. And there are still those who are confused, and many of them find their way to YouTube and in other places, and they, and they work their way into arguments so that someone can feel they have a spiritual one-up level on other people because they don't eat certain foods, and they don't do other things, and, they, and they, for sure, they, haven't, you know, they worship on the right day. Well, what can we do to commend ourselves to God? Nothing. So then why do we gather on Sunday? Well, it certainly isn't to worship the sun god, okay? We worship the god who made the sun, okay? So there are people who try to, you, Christmas, and that's a pagan holiday, and Easter, and that's a pagan holiday. We don't worship the pagans, okay? We're not worshiping a day. There's a day set apart. We don't celebrate birthdays, some say. So you, we, we give thanks to God for birthdays and anniversaries because he is the giver of all good things, but when people don't worship God, they invent other gods and other beliefs that they make God, they bow down to them, they reorient all of their life to them, and then they show them off to other people as badges of honor, and it commends them nowhere to God. So we have to be crystal clear on this. The scriptures will guide us. Listen to what Jesus, how he confronted the leaders. Mark chapter two, and this is also in Matthew 12, it's also in Luke six, same account. Verse 23, one Sabbath. Okay, so as you're reading through the Gospels, pay attention to what Jesus did on the Sabbath day. He often did mighty miracles on the Sabbath day to make a statement. He didn't shy away from it. He was like Nehemiah. He went straight into it. He leaned into it. He was a leader, a servant leader. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples, his disciples, began to pluck heads of grain. So they're just picking it off, you know, grabbing some, shucking it in their hands, putting it in their mouth, chewing on the grain. Verse 24, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing this? It's not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. You, a paraphrase of that, what does the Bible say? Let's go back to scripture. Do you know your Bibles? Oh, we know our Bibles. Okay. Uh, verse 26, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any of, but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, this is the point for our instruction, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay, that's a bold statement. God gave you a day of rest. He gave it to you. Oh, the Lord's commands are so heavy. Yeah, what's he saying? Be still and know that I am God. Amen. Slow your small life down and realize the God who made you and made everything knows you, loves you, and sent his son to die for you. And you're not ever stopping to worship and give thanks to him. 
that's not good for you or anyone else. They didn't like that. So verse 28 says, here he takes it and he just cranks it up another level of heat. So the Son of Man, okay, that's an Old Testament prophetic title for Messiah, and Jesus is the Son of Man, and now he's saying, I am Lord even of the Sabbath. It's my day. You're going to instruct me on my day? You're going to instruct me on my house? My house is to be called the house of prayer. It's also the Father's house, and you're polluting it. This is my day, and you're perverting it, and you are wearing people out so that they follow the letter of your laws, your legalism, and it doesn't help them one bit forgive one sin or be in a right relationship with God. Luke 13, verse 10, another account on the Sabbath. Now, he, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. That's a long time. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called, oh, her, called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. Oh, he's going to be defiled. Not if you're pure. His purity overwhelms her defilement. Her defiledness doesn't infect him. He's God in flesh. He touches her. Okay, that, that's just going to appall them. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. And she, here's the point, glorified God. But here they are, the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. It wasn't just this guy speaking. It was all of them. You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. You hypocrites. 18 years? You don't think she's ever been here on another day? And what'd you do for her with all of your religious we do and we don't do? Nothing. Even more than that, they probably in their spiritual garments looked down their nose at this woman as God judging her because look at her infirmity. She must have really done something wrong to be in this condition. And Jesus pulls it all apart, puts it on the, the table, diagnoses the entire problem, and then addresses it. That's what Nehemiah is doing in Nehemiah 13. And he sets her free. And she immediately glorifies God. How good is he? This is what Jesus does. He takes broken over, bent down, under the weight of sin, he says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I will give you what? Rest. And what kind of rest do we need? We need rest for our souls. And your family members need rest for their souls. And our children need rest for their souls. And some of our parents need rest for their souls. And they are searching and searching and searching. And another promotion and another this and another that. Another time here and another championship and another league and another thing and another there. It never satisfies. It's this kind of rest. The fourth commandment, as I said earlier, it's not reiterated in the New Testament. It's not reiterated for the church, not by any of the apostles, but all of the other commandments are reiterated and applied to the church. And it should not steal. Tell a man don't steal. Tell him to get a job and work so he can give. All of the other commandments are dealt with in the New Testament. This one is different. It's a day of worship. So the day of worship, the Sabbath day, what changed it then from Friday evening in the Jewish tradition over to Saturday evening to some Jews, some Gentiles worshiping on Sunday, what became the Lord's day? And the answer is, class, the resurrection. That changed everything because it was the fulfillment of not waiting for, but looking back to he came and he is coming again. So the church worships on the, on, the, on the Lord's Day on Sunday, but if you live in a persecuted country and you have to meet at Monday morning at 3 a.m., oh, you're not worshiping on Sunday? Says no Christian anywhere. Because they're gathering to worship the Lord, and it's, then it's not about the day. It's about the one who made all the days. So it's about do you worship the right one and for a people, in a, in a, in, in, are you able to worship on the Lord's day, the day he rose from the dead? Then gather. But if something should ever happen and persecution happens as it is around the world, our brothers and, and sisters in Christ who worship at other times and in other you know, ways and in fields and under trees, the Lord loves them. And they're not you know, second-class Christians because they're not gathering at 10 o'clock on Sunday. No, they gather when they're able to gather and worship the Lord. It's a Lord's Day. That's what we see throughout the New Testament, the Lord's Day. That's what they call it. It's his day, the Son of Man. So we need to ask the question then, well, how might I? How might we be guilty of misusing the Lord's Day? How in my life does the Lord's Day look like every other day in the week? Oh, you know, how many, I've had so many people, you know, pastor, that's my only day. I, I work six days a week. That's my only day. I got to mow my grass. I got to do all the, I got all these things to do. You know, that's my day. Okay. Can you speak and create a sun? Galaxies? It's not your day. It's the Lord's day. So what do we need to do? We need to look at this. This is where individually, you know, some would say, you know what, pastor, then, you know, why don't the elders just get together and tell us what we can do on this day and what we can't do? I mean, all of us across this room probably grew up in different ways. My grandfather, when we were trying to go to a restaurant, he did not want to eat in a restaurant on Sunday because then you're making those people work back there. Well, then we weren't going to eat, you know, and we were all hungry, so we went and ate. But we're mindful of this and it's a reality some of our people struggle with they, they work in places they won't let them off on sunday and it isn't a life or death situation we have individuals that work in those 
There are 24-7 operations, and people live or die based on the people who serve. So that's a, that's a different thing. You're like, well, pastor, you're working on the Lord's Day. I mean, look at the people back there. They're working on the Lord's Day. But it's serving. It's not just advancing my personal portfolio on this day. It's trusting the Lord and worshiping him. Also, we need to respond then with appropriate steps of obedience, okay? So we've seen the negative. Well, where might we be getting this wrong? Let's not hurry beyond that. Let's think through that. But then, how do I rightly obey? Well, Nehemiah jumps into action. He's got the plan. He knows how to deal with the issue. He dealt with the blatant sin of Judah. There were, now think about this. Some of them were God's people. Some of them were foreigners. And Nehemiah didn't say, well, I can't offend any foreigners here. You know, they might look at me and think, you know, if, 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 this guy's not real nice. So if he's not real nice, then I'm not going to ever worship his God. No, he deals with all of them. This is the holy city. This is a chosen city. And so he deals with all of them because he fears the Lord. He doesn't fear people. His love and his passion for God superseded his fear of anyone else. The only hope of any nation, including our nation and any other nation then and now, is for all peoples to know the one true and living God and to be forgiven by him and adopted into his family. So listen to me, loved ones. Compromise will never advance the divine mission of redemption. We're ambassadors of the king. We're not negotiators. We don't make deals with people. Well, what, what, how, much of, how much of that will you believe? You know, like, if, can we get to maybe 50%? We don't, we don't make deals. He's God. This is his word. We are to proclaim his word and by the grace of God, humbly not obscure the word of God through our actions. So someone legitimately says, what's, you know, what's, what's gotten into this guy's crawl? What's his issue? Why is he so upset? Well, there's a story behind this, and that is they used to do this, and they were gone, and this whole area went barren because the whole nation was put into other nations. And then their God brought them back, and if they do it again, it's going to be barren land again. So this guy is passionate about it, and he led the you know, rebuilding of the gates and the walls, and he's the governor's guy, and the Lord provides. It walks them into the story of how God provided for them, unless they just treat it like any other day which is what they were doing, and then they're no different. They don't stand out for any marvelous reason. Nehemiah saw, verse 15. He warned, verse 15. He confronted the nobles. That's where he started in verse 17. I commanded, in verse 19, the doors should be shut. I gave orders. Verse 21, I warned them. Verse 21, I threatened them. I'll lay hands on you. I'm gonna mess you up. I don't know how big Nehemiah was, but his talk was big and they listened. They stopped coming back. I commanded the Levites, verse 22. And then he gave some of his own guys to help them. Make sure they follow up. Make sure they do. I left once before. I'm not leaving them. Let's get this thing in the right direction and let's build some, some muscle memory here that they know what's right to do and they actually follow through. And uh, write this down, Jeremiah 17 Jeremiah is preaching in verses 19 to 27 almost the same message to generations before him. And you know who listened? Nobody. Nobody. 
And he was warning on this side of the exile, saying, if you don't listen to me, if you don't honor the Lord on the Sabbath day, you're going to be punished just like Moses through Moses. God told us, you'll be sent into exile. <sighs> Jeremiah, what's his deal? You know, Jeremiah, man, he, he needs to get a ni- you know, nicer message. That's his deal. He just always oh, so serious. Tell a few more jokes, Jeremiah. Come on. You know, get a better band, Jeremiah. They didn't listen to him. And they were carried away into exile. They were brought back. And Nehemiah is right there saying, you've heard this before. You know this to be true. You better listen. What steps of obedience are part of the fabric of our lives? As we consider consider honoring Jesus every Lord's Day, can I ask us the question, are we committed to honoring and obeying Jesus? then we need to remember and we need to treasure the word. This is the command of our king. Do you remember when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus said in Matthew 6? Because all of these people here in Nehemiah 13, but what will happen if I don't get those fish? If I don't sell those fish, people won't have fish. And, and then the wine, you, know, you got to have wine. We need to have a good time and, and they need that. And we need to bring grapes. People love figs. And that's how I make my business. If I don't work all those days with... Okay, back up. Who causes grapes to grow? The Lord, right? God does. Who put the fish in the sea? God did. Who gives all the animals, all of the, you know, everything that we have? It's all from God. And what do we try to do? Yeah, but I need to, no, what do we need to do? We need to put God first. We need to honor the Lord on the Lord's day. So we have, to, we have to remember, what did Jesus say? Seek as soon as you can the kingdom of God. Seek when it works into your schedule, the kingdom of God. Is that what he said? Seek what? What's the word? Put it at the top of the list. Put it before everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what will happen with the fish and the figs and the wine and all the other good things in life that come from God. He said, you wait, and I'll give you six days worth that will bless you. Our treatment of the Lord's day, loved ones, it should open paths to good conversations. I understand this is a struggle, especially when it comes to jobs and sports. Why are there so many sports on Sunday now? Can I submit to you one possible reason? Because all of the Christians didn't say, that's the Lord's day. Oh, what's the Lord's day? Well, that is the day that we gather and we worship the one who took the heavy burden of sin off my back. How do you do that? Well, he was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. I haven't. I've told lies. I've lusted. I've coveted. I've not put God first. And he was perfect in all things. He pleased the Father in heaven. And what they do to him, they crucified him on a cross outside of Jerusalem, and they buried him. And what happened? He rose from the dead on the Lord's day. Oh, so he's forgiven me, and I worship him with other believers on the Lord's day. Would you like to come with me? Do you hear the difference there? But when it's, well, 
you know, it's on Sunday, it's on Sunday, it's on Sunday, and we go here and we go there and we go here and we go there, then what are we doing? We're profaning the Lord's day. We're making it like every other day, like we're every other person. But there should be a difference, and that is we've been redeemed, and they have not been redeemed, and they need to be redeemed before their heart stops beating. And we believe that that is the most important decision in a person's life of many decisions. It is most important, have you been forgiven? Have you received the mercy and grace of Jesus? So therefore, if people are ever gonna get to that difficult conversation, something has to get it there. And if our worship never cuts across any grains of culture, it never will go there. And we're taking our light, and Jesus said, you're putting a bushel over it. And therefore, it's no good to anybody around you to say, hey, I worship, and I won't be available at this time because I worship. Would you like to go with me? Because there's room at the cross for you. Moving on, remember the holiness and severity of the Lord. Whenever we forget God, it's the way down. That's true in my life. Whenever I begin to function like an atheist, it's the way down. Like, I can do this. I don't need God. It's the way down. It's a spiral down. Loved ones, we were made by him. And so naturally, naturally, humanly, we don't want to be like him. We want to be him. That's what kids, they just, they're born, they're that way, like, ah! What are they saying? Now, I command, do it for me now. You don't have to put them in any classes for that. No one had to put you in a class for that. It's our hearts. Thanks to our father, Adam, we are born self-centered and selfish, and we live for a few years like a mist, like a vapor, and then we're taken from sight. And to simply live and not know God and die is to miss the purpose, the point for which we were born, for which we were created. It's to know God and to enjoy him forever. Think about how that fits into the, the day of rest, the, the Lord's day. Stop. Enjoy and remember me. Worship me. Is this carried over into our days? Is this carried over into how we prepare for the Lord's day? This ought to influence our thinking, and we're all different, and so no, it's not going to come down, here's what we can do and what we can't do on the Lord's day. That's, a, you know, a false religion does that for you here. Now you don't have to think. No, you and I, we all have to work on this individually as families. How do we regard the Lord's day in a way that is not profaning the Lord's day? Nehemiah called it an evil thing that they were doing. He said, you're, you're bringing more wrath. You think it was bad for your grandparents? It's gonna, it's gonna come full circle and it's gonna be worse. Loved ones, do we remember where the Lord found us and redeemed us from? Part of us gathering on the Lord's Day on Sunday to worship, it's to remind ourselves 
of the very first lyrics of the first song we sang today. I was buried beneath my sin, shame. Who can carry that kind of weight? You called my name. And I, like Lazarus, ran out of that grave. Amen. But if we're all out somewhere else, and think about how quickly that temptation to compromise when it was just one Sunday, it was just two Sundays, it was just a month, and suddenly it's a month of Sundays and I haven't been to worship. It can happen so quickly. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's what... The holiness and Nehemiah's reminding them he's holy, he is severe, he's just. Listen to the words of Jesus through the Apostle John to two different churches in uh, the book of Revelation. First of all, to Ephesus, Revelation 2.5, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, Jesus says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you, here's the invitation, Repent, change your mind. It's a change of heart and it's a change of life, your schedule, it's a change. To the church in Sardis, he wrote and uh, he said in Re Revelation 3.3, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. That's an awesome word. That's a, that's a fearful word. That's a loving word saying, wake up, I love you, repent. That light needs to be in your city. And if it's not through the believers, it won't be in the city. For those around who are without Christ, letter D, we need to repent of sin, the sin of profaning the Lord's day. We're in desperate need for the cleansing that the Lord can give. Amen. To profane, it means to treat it as common. So when I worked at McDonald's, okay, we had spatulas for the grill, and then they had spatulas for gum that was all over the inside and outside parking lot, and it was on the end of a stick, and you'd walk around and scrape the gum that was all nasty on the ground, and you would scrape that off, scrape, 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 get it off, throw it away. Here's the point. You didn't want anybody confusing those two similar-looking items. Like, scrape, 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 scrape. What? You need a burger? Oh, I got you. Whoop. Flip. Man, I don't even have to get close to the grill on this. This is amazing. Coming right up. Sanctified. This tool is set apart for the nasty things on the ground. Keep it there. This tool is set apart for the food on the grill. Don't get confused on those. Okay, don't turn that into a fly swatter and then go back to the grill. Separate. You got to regard them as different that's what it is to be sanctified. It's set apart. There's a distinguishing. There's a difference there. Darkness, light, child of God, not yet a child of God. So we need to repent of this sin. Nehemiah, he set the priests apart. Verse 18, verse 22. He couldn't do the cleansing. Remember, we see it again here. Nehemiah is not coming in, taking charge of everything, like I'm the guy. He's like, you're the guy's. You sanctify this area. 
You be sanctified. You purify yourselves. And you show up and do what you're supposed to be doing. You've been set apart by God for a purpose. You've been set apart from and you've been set apart to for God's glory and the good of all nations. Loved ones, if we have Jesus and his spirit lives in us, then Jesus is our great high priest. He's made a way for us all to draw near to the holiest place. And that's a place set apart. The only way we can come is when we've been washed in the blood and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that is where we find mercy. And that is where we find the grace that is so desperately needed today. He wants to be with us. He wants to dwell with us. That's what God did in the garden with Adam and Eve. He walked with them. He fellowshiped with them until sin came in and it separated us from this creator God. So the writer of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 making application says, therefore, brothers, okay? So he's writing to Christians, believers, followers of Christ. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now we're talking about heaven. By the new and living way, he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Then it gets into verse 24. So he said, we can go into heaven. We will have access into heaven because Jesus made a way. So we need to anchor this, this belief, this faith that we have that people can't see. It's in our heart. This is unseen, but there's a place where we're going somewhere. He's done something and doing something in me, but I'm not alone in this. I'm part of a family. I need to be in this community of other people that God lives in, and they're going to be in his presence. I need that time with them. So I'm not going to head out on the highway. I'm not going to go on my own. You know, here I go again on my own. I'm not going that way. I need to be in community. And that's when he says, this is this invitation. And he says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see, we're going somewhere. The day is drawing near. So fellowship together, worship together, walk together, work together. That's what's going to happen this week in Vacation Bible School. That was what was happening yesterday and the day before down on the roof, people working together in these projects and the fellowship. And we stir one another up in love and in good works and encouragement and praying for one another and opportunities to even talk to people who don't know Christ about the gospel and the goodness of God. And that brings us to the final what Nehemiah did, rest in the goodness and grace of God. This is what we need. This is what I need. It's to, it's to rest. It's to learn to be still and know that I am God. Stop and enjoy the presence of the Lord. Turn off all of the noise from time to time and be still and be quiet and thank God and think about God. Remember him. We can live forever in peace and joy because of the amazing grace of God. Nehemiah, one, one writer said, Goldberg, he said, Nehemiah is no weak leader, but at the same time, he has a heart that is tender toward God and his word 
would you pray that for me and for us as leaders in the church? Be a, be a good leader. Don't be a weak leader, but keep a tender heart. This is no fighting position. Like this is the like, oh yeah, you wanna fight? Come on, let's fight. <laughs> Somebody's gonna be looking at you like, eh, you sure about this? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm well trained. Lord, <laughs> like, well, wait a second, that's a new factor here. Who's on your team? Hang on. Who's he calling out to? I've read my Old Testament. Nehemiah placed his trust, his life, and his legacy in the only safe place, loved ones, in the hands of the Almighty God. Do you see it? Let me just read that again, what it says there in verse 22 at the end. Second time he says it in this, in this chapter, remember this also in my favor, oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your hesed, your steadfast love, your unfailing love, your grace. Take to heart the often repeated call to trust and rest in the Lord. It's in the Old and New Testament. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Oh, but Nehemiah, if I don't work on every day of the week, if I don't work on that day, then I, it just won't work. We won't pay our bills. We'll close. Well, or we can trust the Lord. Romans 10, 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, trusts in him, trusts in him alone, will not be, and your Bible might say, disappointed, let down, failed, put to shame. You trust in a human being, you trust in the person that you see in the mirror, you're gonna be let down. But everyone who's put their faith and trust in this God who lives and loves, never been let down. What am I arguing for today? Stop trusting in any way that we are in ourselves and trust in the Lord and lead others in our influence to trust in the Lord and to know him. So let's embrace these lessons. We've looked at three. Live in, the consecra in consecration to God. Support the work of God. Time, talent, and treasures, be there. Be part of it, what God's doing. Honor the Lord's day. So here's two questions. Why? Why is the Lord's day? Why is this day unique from other days? Think about that. Why is it? How do I view this day? Do I see it as distinct from the other days of the week? Like, it's the question that we have to say, should I do this on the Lord's day? Can I worship the Lord on this day? Can I receive these good things, times with family, uh, whatever it is? Can I worship the Lord? How do I worship the Lord? Remember him, thank him, enjoy him, praise him. Is this about me or is this about the Lord? Those are the questions that we have to work through. 
Is it about me having my way or is it about me, the Lord having me and all of me? And the second question is, is how can I show more honor to Christ on the Lord's day? Think through that because we can all say there's room for improvement. How can I show more honor to Christ on the Lord's day? And perhaps the way you can honor the Lord is you've never given him your heart and life. That would honor the Lord. That would glorify God is to admit that you're a sinner and believe that Jesus Christ is your only hope and trust him and say, Lord, save me a sinner, here I am. And you know what he'll do? He'll say, bring, it, bring me you, all your sin, all your shame. Give, I'm taking you, come here, come to me. And anybody who comes to him, he receives and then he gives his righteousness to them. Here, all of my righteousness, all of my obedience, all of my standing before the Father, now you're mine. Now you have access. You didn't have access, but now in me you have access. And you can go in. It's okay, you can go in. The priests used to not be able to go in behind that veil. They'd die. And now Jesus says, come on in. I've thrown it wide open, but there's only one way in. And it's through him to be in Christ. Are you in Christ this morning? Let's stand together. He is so good. Father, we praise you. We are unworthy and yet you have made us worthy. So we do not have to live under the condemnation any longer if we are in Christ Jesus. So help us to live in the grace and in the life and in the freedom that you have provided through Jesus. I pray God for anyone who is listening, whether here or online, if they do not know Christ as Lord, as Savior, that today would be the day that you, they would hear you by your spirit inviting them to trust you. That you will take their sin, you, you have already taken our punishment on the cross, and you will give to them life and salvation that never ends. Oh, we trust you for this, Lord. Help us to honor you on the Lord's day, especially on the Lord's day. Every day, yes, but together as a, as a worshiping faith community, that this day is distinctively different. We long to praise you even more. Receive our lives, our worship, Lord, for the honor and glory of Jesus in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.